What's going on, gentlemen? Welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton, and I am your host. I hope that you are doing well today. This is a podcast dedicated to helping young men, men in their 30s, men in their 40s, wherever you are, figure out what kind of man you want to become. Uh, not necessarily what you want to give your life to, though we believe it. Uh, we believe in that. We believe in finding your purpose, what you're going to put your efforts into. We just really believe that you need to figure out who you're going to be in your character, in your personality, before you even move forward. A lot of men, we get this out of order, and then we end up really successful but making a mess of our lives, and we don't want to be doing that. And um, the way this podcast works, on Mondays, as of right now, it's all, I'm always kind of changing and tinkering with it. On Mondays, I release a an interview I've done with uh good friends of mine or people I meet, young men uh, who are doing making their way in the world and figuring out who they want to be, everything from youth pastors to business leaders and uh, my brothers and my father is on here a lot. I do a lot of episodes with uh, Pops. And then on Wednesdays, we do a uh, Wisdom Wednesday podcast from the Bible because we believe that if you get wisdom, you get everything else. And then on Fridays, it's kind of a freestyle. What am I feeling about talking about what am I, what am I wanting to push? And, um, I was doing a biblical manhood series on the manhood of Jesus because I think we need to reclaim the manhood of Jesus. And if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm not even, I'm not about to listen to this podcast. If you're going to talk about the Bible or Jesus or any Christianity thing, I'm like, Hey, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus, which means I follow Jesus. I try to live the way Jesus would live uh, and do the things that Jesus says to do his best, treat people the way that Jesus would want to treat people. And look, so before you discount this podcast uh, and go listen to Joe Rogan again or whatever. Why don't you just give this one a chance and see what I have to say about the manhood of Jesus? Uh, Because he is the single most influential man that has ever lived. And yeah, he's a religious figure, but he made an impact on the world that you and I have never even come close to. And he's one of, he's the best man who's ever lived. So why don't you just give this a shot and see Uh, what we have to say here. Uh, See if you find what you're looking for. Find what you're seeking. We all need a man to imitate, and I think Jesus is the the man to imitate. Um, And so today, I do these kind of freestyle, and I was doing a series on biblical manhood, looking at the manhood of Jesus, and then last week we looked at St. Patrick because uh, it was St. Patty's Day, and Yes, I had a Guinness beer and it was delicious. It was, it was, <laughs> I might have had two. It was, it was so good. But I wanted today, um, I, two weeks ago I had done um, a thing on called Man of Valor because I was thinking about going through the, the man I want to be description on my personal vision for who I want to be, which comes from a passage about David. But I actually, today when I was thinking about this podcast, I was like, no, I, I want to do more on Jesus. Um, I I want to see men who realize what kind of man that Jesus was. And so I was like, I'm, I don't think I'm done with this one. We'll move on to another biblical character, another vision at another time. But um, I said, when I started this podcast, I told everybody who listened, like, you need God and Jesus is God. Uh, like, you need him. You need a power and authority outside of yourself. Um, anyone, any man who's tried living out, uh, just out, Without without God, uh, makes a mess of something, never finds what he's looking for, uh, and ends up being a shadow of the man that he was he was intended to be. And I don't want that for anybody. Um, and I also think that we live in a time where everything around you is failing. Uh, everything that you thought we could build our or everything we thought we could build our life on is failing. It's very fragile, and uh, we need we need something different. We need something different, and I think when you when we need something different, you don't start with. This might sound odd to people who are Christian. You don't start with Christianity. You start with Jesus. You, that's where you start. You start with Jesus, and you move out from there. Um, you start with Jesus. Every sermon in the New Testament uh, it starts with the proclamation of Jesus, not the good news of the church, not the good news of Christianity, not the good news of a way of life. It starts with a man named Jesus. And so, I wanted to do another episode. Uh, on the man who changed my life, uh, who was Jesus. So today, looking at the manhood of Jesus, because he's not just a religious figure, he was also a man. And we've talked about his physical fortitude. We've talked about um, 
how he was unafraid to go into the darkest places in the world. He was unafraid of anybody, uh, in part because of his spiritual power, but also in part because of his physical stature. He knew he could handle himself. He was not afraid to walk into a temple and confront authority figures of his day. Uh, he just and no one stopped him, which is wild to think. Like he goes into a temple, starts overturning tables, causing a ruckus, and nobody stops him. That tells you something about like his presence. And today, I actually want to talk about Jesus as the smartest man who has ever lived. This is something I'm really, really passionate about because. Uh, I had just read or heard about a study where Americans apparently were getting dumber. Um, Now, I have read uh, that IQ stays the same over the course of your life and that that IQs don't actually grow as um, uh, as we as people as we move along through history. I forget what it was called, but uh, I'll have to ask my brother because he studied psychology in college and he knows all about that stuff. But uh, apparently. Uh, according to this study that was released, Americans are getting dumber and IQ is dropping. Um, now, if IQ can drop, I don't know if that's because we uh, we were getting, quote, smarter because we had access to more information, uh, if our teaching techniques got better or whatever, but, or if we're actually, our, our intelligent quotient is actually dropping. I have no idea. Um, but we're, we are at a time where even if our IQ is staying the same or whatnot, we look around and we're like, well, we might, we might all just kind of be a little bit dumb right now. Um, we, we don't really know what we're doing. We don't really know much about life or anything else, actually. And I think that is becoming very, very obvious. As one, It's one of the things that is starting to show how fragile it is. And I think that Jesus was the smartest man who'd ever lived. I think, hands down, I think he perfectly understood the human condition I think he was the greatest philosopher that has ever lived, moral philosopher. I don't think you have, I don't think you can even make a case that any philosopher has surpassed Jesus. Everybody makes a reference to Jesus in their philosophy. There, he is like the marker. You can't move away from him. Like Jesus does not compare to anybody. Uh, You can compare Nietzsche to Jesus. You can compare Foucault to Jesus. You can compare Aristotle to Jesus. You can compare everybody to Jesus, but when you try to compare, if you try to go the other direction, it, it's not, it's not possible because his his philosophy about humanity was far better. I think he perfectly understood human psychology, which is going to be the topic of today's episode. I also think he was a master of physics and molecules. How else did he turn water into wine? He knew how to change the substance of water into something that was fermented. Uh, he also knew how to change the substance of water so that he could walk on it. It went from a liquid that you pass through to a solid you could walk on. He knew how to do that. And you're like, yeah, oh, that's just folklore and whatnot. This is why we don't like we do not do Christianity because of, he, he, these things couldn't be real. Well, they could be. Uh, they, they very well could be. Uh, I think a study of physics could actually explain a little bit of that because at the heart of all physical reality are little, what we believe are little bands of energy. Um, so that's kind of odd that energy, which is intangible turns solid. Um, so maybe the creator of the universe is very capable of doing whatever he wants to water. Maybe that's actually a very possible, but we live in a materialist world. The only thing that you could see is what you can touch uh, or at least view with your eyes, even though the most important things in life are invisible. Love, it's invisible. Can't measure it, can't see it. You can only feel its effects. Uh, Same thing with God. Same thing with God. But I digress, I digress. So Jesus was smart. I also think he he has the perfect information for any situation that you could handle. Now, could it get down to the specifics? No. Could like if you have a uh, big math test going up and you're really, really nervous and you don't know if your teacher will uh, get, be able to bump you up or help you or however, you know, I didn't really think through this example, so I'm going as I go. Uh, no, is he going to be able to teach you how to, like if you pray, will Jesus suddenly teach you how to uh, do, I'm trying to remember something from calculus, der- derivatives? No, probably not. Probably not, but it does say that Jesus did everything well, and he asked us to all do everything as he would do it, so we should do our things well, which means we would study ahead of time. So um, that's a principle. Um, If I were to ask you, though, 
let's get back to my notes because now I'm just jabber, jabbering at you guys. Uh, also, if you're new to this podcast, I don't edit it. I do not edit. Um, I work very hard on it, but I don't edit because you and I cannot edit our life. It is what it is, and we have to make the most of it as we go through, just like we're going to make the most of this podcast uh, without editing out the stuff we don't like. If I were to ask you about the smartest people that you've ever that have ever lived, that you've ever met, ever lived throughout all of human history, uh, who would you say? Like, who comes to mind if you were to t- think of top one? You know, you could say like Einstein, um, Galileo, I think is up there. Isaac Newton for sure is up there. Most of the modern physicists would have to be up there. Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson, of course, if you're a real scientist, um, not me, I'm not comparing Neil, Tyson to, to real science. I'm saying like other than me, I know pop scientists. Uh, you might be like, no, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't know. But if you were to think of who, is, who are the smartest people that you have, um, who have ever lived, I don't know if anyone would say Jesus. I don't think that would be the first, if you were to survey a room, I don't think anyone would say Jesus, Um, which is odd because he is, like I said earlier in the podcast, he is the single most influential person that has ever lived. Like there, there's that great book by Tom Holland called Dominion, how the Christian revolution, the Jesus revolution changed everything. And it did. He, he, this guy in this book, he goes through how Christianity, everything from human rights to science, to government, how we think about government, how we think about uh, individuality comes from the Christian revolution started by Jesus. So he's the single most influential person in history. It can't be argued in any other. We tell time based on Jesus. Everything before him was BC and everything after him was AD. Like He's the single most influential person in Jesus. It's really hard for me to imagine that a dummy could pull that off. So he had, I think he had to have been the smartest person that ever lived. And, I, and like I said, I think he perfectly understands human psychology and we have yet to move beyond his teachings about what is good. All we've been able to do is redefine good, but we've been incapable of actually doing the good that Jesus would say to do. And no matter how you redefine good, the way he taught, it's impossible to move beyond it no matter what your worldview is. Uh, So, for example, in our modern world, we demand tolerance, 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 just tolerant. And Jesus, he taught tolerance to a degree as well. Um, But it's funny, we demand tolerance by being intolerant to those who are not tolerant of what we think. (laughs) If you think about that little tongue twister, we, we demand tolerance by being intolerant to those who disagree with us on any number of things. Uh, That's called repressive tolerance. It's you... Uh, I am allowed to say what I'm allowed to say, but you have to listen and you cannot say what you want to say. You have to just agree with what I, what I say. It's, that's called repressive tolerance. You tolerate me, but I don't have to tolerate you. Uh, if that sounds like any other part of our current cultural moment, uh, yeah, it kind of is. And it's, uh, is it on one, one side of the aisle, or the other, I'll let you decide. It's probably right across your dinner table. Uh, not even on an aisle. And it's also too bad that we have to think about everything politically now. Isn't that, don't you think? It's kind of sucky. Uh, but back to human psychology. So uh, the number one podcast in the world is the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, it's hands down, like it's not even close to like how many listens. But then the number two podcast right now is a podcast called Huberman Lab. <clears throat> and it's second only to Joe Rogan. And uh, Andrew Huberman, he is a PhD psychologist at Stanford University super, super, super smart, like unbelievably smart, very well-spoken, very clear. He takes complex ideas, makes them very, very simple. It's He is fascinating to listen to. And I actually listened to a good amount of the conversation he had with Joe Rogan the other day. He, he went, so the number two podcaster went on the number one podcasters. What an episode. And uh, they had this great conversation and I listened to a good uh, a good amount of they spent a lot of time talking about like cold therapy because both of them are really into cold therapy and heat therapy which is like using the sauna to maximize brain function and cellular stuff they they said words i didn't really understand um uh different types of exercise he's andrew huberman is really well known for um what is it called it's called like deep sleep effect that's not REM sleep or something. I don't, I don't know how it, he has a great acronym for it. Um, 
and he he's big on sleep and sunlight and exercise and longevity and eat, eating well, like all of this kind of stuff and how it all affects the brain. And it's all really, really, really interesting stuff. Like I love listening to the guy. It's like the human mind is unbelievable. It's so complex and so intricate. And the fact that we use our brain to study our brain, think about that one for a second. Um, the brain is the only thing that's able to, like human beings are the only people that are able to study themselves. And the brain is the only thing that can study itself, which is like, think about that one for a second. But, but I scrolled through all of his podcasts, like what he's released so far. And it's all really, really interesting. It's all really, really good. But like many other psychologists who have studied deeply on how the brain works, they cannot seem to define what is good beyond the health of the human body and the human brain. Like, they can't tell you how to act. Well, they can a little bit. And without going into too much historical detail, one of the primary gospels today is the one of psychology to deliver people from their life as it is. <clears throat> and in some some regards, it works. The things that we've learned about the human brain and um, have been very, very helpful to a lot of people. And my brother Colin, the super genius who was on the podcast just last week, I mean, he studied psychology and he he knows this stuff. And there's a lot of like incredible stuff, but all all it cannot make what's uh, moral decisions. It can't tell you how to be good. But what it, all it can really tell you is how to improve your individual well-being. That's really all that psychology can tell you is how to improve your individual well-being. Beyond that, it can't tell you much. It can't tell you much. It cannot tell you how to do good to other people. And this has led this. And I mean, I've, I just finished a book called The Rise and the Triumph of the Modern Self, which is a history of the psychological man. It is a very, a very important read, I think, especially if you're in Christian leadership or any kind of just if you want to understand how we got here. There's a 400 year history that led to how we got here. Um, I actually recommend starting that book with the pro, with the uh, epilogue at the end. Read the epilogue first and then go and read. Otherwise, you might miss the point of the book. And it's a historical analysis and a, a sociological analysis of how we got here, what ideas led to this cultural moment, and how, and this was, this was the biggest insight, how no one, no matter where you fall, no matter what you think, is free from this, what he calls expressive individualism. Uh, and it's that's a, that's the way we think of ourselves as psychological beings. Um, it's fascinating. Highly recommend it. But anyway, anyway, there over a course of four hundred years, we have now um, brought today a gospel of psychology, which is supposed to, which promises to deliver people from their life as it is. And in some regards, it works. It improves well-being in a lot of areas. Um, but it's not a complete gospel. Gospel means good news. It's good news, and it's supposed to be a proclamation of like deliverance from life as it is to what we know it should be because we all have deep inside of ourselves an idea that life as it is is not how it should be, even though it's kind of been this way forever. It tells us that we're made for for a different world, made for a different world. Um, but there's some, some, some questions about life and some instruction about life that psychology can answer, which has led to the led to, uh, and this is just the idea I'm focusing on today. It's not the exclusive um, where psychology has led, but it has led to um, an idea that is very prominent in every aspect of society and even in church. I hear it in church all the time. The good news of psychology as deliverance for in for your individual well being has led to. I should only associate with people who are good for my well-being. Everyone else needs to be cut off. And we have a nice little uh, phrase for it. We call it boundaries. And boundaries. Are boundaries good? You bet. You bet. I don't want you to miss mistake that I think that I'm being like, don't have boundaries with people. That's not what I'm saying. I do think it's interesting, though, that we will go far in a way to justify not doing what Jesus said to do. Um, our boundaries good. You bet. Do we use them to justify dus distancing ourselves from people who would, we should probably move closer to? Yeah, we also do that. We use boundaries to justify distancing ourselves from people we should move closer to. 
And I think we've successfully managed to boundary ourselves away from people for our own comfort because we've lost sight of the good news and the teachings and the life of Jesus. Like we have, if you feel uncomfortable and you're trying to justify the boundary you've set with people, just give me a second. Give me a sec. There's actually a um, passage in Matthew 18 where Jesus teaches on boundaries. Um, And it's about forgiveness and reconciling and trying to make things right with people. And sometimes you can't make things right with people. And so Jesus says you treat them as a Gentile, which is Jesus' way of saying you treat them as they are not no longer part of the family. You set a boundary. Uh, Paul, he says, I handed people over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme, which is an intense way of saying these people are not good for the church as a whole. We need to remove them for a season. But he also says, uh, and Jesus also says, Paul and Jesus both say that, and this is in Second Corinthians, see if I can recall it to mind, that you must restore people in a spirit of gentleness. You don't just cut people off to cut people off for your personal well-being. Actually, you, you bring them back into the community and allow them to have a chance to reconcile. And so what, what I'm trying to point out, though, is that the promises of psychology to promote our individual well-being, that's what psychology, at least popular psychology, I, I just imagine I'm going to get a text from Colin. That's why I'm trying to make this so clear. Because um, he, like, he, he does, he knows this stuff. He's very, very, very unbelievably smart. What I'm trying to say is that popular psychology has turned promoting our individual being as to the gospel that will lead us into the life we're supposed to have. And it's become cultural and it's a first response to everything. We don't address issues first. The first thing is we set a boundary as in we push them out of our life, push them out of our life. There's actually a parody account on Instagram called the power of self care. That's all about this cultural trend. And, um, hold on. I pulled up a picture of it, of some of their things, the power of self care go look at their page and scroll through it. This is one of the posts. It's this is a parody account. Um it says block, delete and mute anyone and everyone online and in real life who has any form of critique of you. <laughs> um it's a it's a funny funny account um that just makes fun of this cultural trend to just cut people off and push them out of your life as if you're the um the most most important person in the world um (laughs) become so good at self-evaluation that the only thing you think about is yourself everyone is going to hate you anyway so you might as well give them a reason like these are parody parody accounts um memorize the terms and phrases that will grant you permission to act however you please the power of self-care like this is a great, great account that kind of points to this tendency that we have uh, from the study of psychology that I, do, I think it's an unintended consequence that has led to this first response boundary. Now it has led to many other things, um, but it has led to first response. We're going to start cutting people off because it's all, and the reason we do that is not because we're interested in um, restorative relationships or community building where at, in a time when everybody wants community or social, like I, everything is social, social gym, social banking, social gyms. I've seen like there was a gym social in Denver. Um, everything, everybody wants community, 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 but we cut people off if they're, if they don't promote our individual well being. So one of the reasons that we're placing boundaries on people is because of the words that they say over and over and over again. And we just like, or we just don't like their personality and we call them toxic and yeah, you know, toxic words, life or life and death are in the power of the tongue. Absolutely. Um, but it is this cultural trend where people we don't like, we cut off and we call them toxic. And so that got me thinking, um, are there truly, well, are there truly toxic people? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I want, I'm going to show you an article from a website called Psych Central that'll show you what I'm, more of what I'm talking about. Um, and it got me thinking, though, like, okay, what would Jesus say to all of that? 
Like what, what would be Jesus's response to our incessant need to put boundaries up on what we call as toxic people? What is a toxic person anyway? And why is our first response to create boundaries when we all really need community? Are we that incapable of loving people? Like, do we not have the heart of hearts to be able to love people as they are? Because we're not, I've, I know people who just set boundaries for people they don't like. They're like, oh, I don't like your personality, so I'm setting a boundary. Oh, you asked a little bit too much of me, I'm setting a boundary. Not, not pervasive toxicity of, of any kind. It's, more, it's gotten to the point where it's just like, you're going to see this actually in this article, because this, this article I found was unbelievable. This is the definition of a toxic person. According to um, this website called psychcentral.com. So I typed into Google um, how to deal with a toxic person. And this was the first article that came up from psychcentral.com. So what does that mean? That means it's a psychology website. Here's their definition of a toxic person. A toxic person is someone who is subtly or outwardly manipulative, self-centered, needy, or controlling. And their behavior is typically unpleasant or malicious towards unpleasant. That's what toxic means now. Unpleasant. Everyone I know is unpleasant at some point, usually between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. Like, <laughs> my gosh. that That's what the definition. They, I'm going to read that again. A toxic person, we're going to go through this compared to what Jesus said. A toxic person is someone who is subtly or outwardly manipulative, self-centered, needy, or controlling, and their behavior is typically unpleasant or malicious towards others. All right, so let's go through that definition really, really quick and see what Jesus would say. Um, I'm going to compare this to the Sermon on the Mount or uh, a sermon from Luke chapter 6. So first thing that we went through, subtly or outwardly manipulative. So they use their words to manipulate others. Um, and Jesus actually knew that that was a problem in, human, in the human condition. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first thing he says is, um, let, me, let me just pull up my Bible. So he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But what did he, what did he, what's the fullness of what he said? Flip into it. I'm up, I'm on Luke. He said, again, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely and you shall not, and you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything else, anything more than that comes from evil. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? But I'm not taking oaths. People who manipulate, they're not taking oaths. No, you take an oath. What Taking an oath is a way of justifying your words to manipulate how people respond to what you said. That's why I, that's why people say, I swear on my mother, I will do this. You're making, that's an oath. You're appealing to someone else that you have no right to appeal to, by the way, um, to just, to convince somebody else that you are going to follow through with what you said. And that's why people say, I swear to God, they're appealing to the highest power they can think of. I swear to God, I'm, I will, I'm going to, and then they fill in the blank. That's an oath. They're using their words to manipulate. Um, this might be common in like a dating situation or at work. At work, your boss uh, t- ha- comes to tell you to do something. And instead of being like, yes, I can do that, you say, I swear on everything, I'll make sure that happens. Like, I promise I, you can trust me. Instead of just saying, yes, I can take care of it. You don't, you, you're, <laughs> you're using your words. We all use our words to manipulate so that people respond to us the way that we want them to respond to us. And if you think for about four seconds about how you do that. Think of the little subtle lies that you say every single day to get people to respond to you the way you want to them to respond to you. You don't necessarily tell the whole truth, but you tell most of the truth. Hmm? Okay, so we're not off to a good start. We're not off to a good start at all. We're, we, you and I, I do this all the time, and I did it way worse when I was younger, but I, and I, even now I still do it. Even now, like... um. There was, I forgot to text somebody back yesterday. And instead of, like, because they had invited me to play basketball 
and I forgot to, I told him, I don't know if I can go. I will text you tonight to let you know if I can. And I, I forgot to text them. And I have a good reason why. I, I came home. My daughter was sick. I needed to take her to the doctor to make sure everything was okay because we've had some health stuff going on. She's fine. She's fine. She's fine, by the way. By the way, I forget that other people other than me <laughs> listen to this. Um, I brought Everything was fine. I brought her home. And I just, I forgot to text him. And the first thing, I, when I realized today that I forgot to text this guy, the first thing I thought is, oh, I need to tell him all the reasons to justify why I forgot texting him. Um, and maybe I'll even stretch it a little bit and make it sound like it was worse than it actually was so that he's not agitated or angry. Like that, that was my first response. And I had to check myself and be like, no, just tell the truth. Just own it. You forgot to text him back. Something came up. You forgot. But don't stretch it. Don't make it worse than it actually was. Don't have him thinking the situation was different than it actually was so that you feel better. That was something I did. And you and I do this crap all the time. So we're on our way to being a toxic person because a toxic person apparently is slightly manipulative. And that said, subtly, subtly manipulative. That was subtly. So moving on, let's see how we, let's see how toxic you and I actually are. Uh, moving along in the definition, it said a toxic person is someone who is subtly manipulative or self-centered. Oh, good. Because no one on earth has ever been self-centered at all, every single day, every single part of their life. <laughs> I mean, you heard some of those Power of Self-Care parodies I read. They were all about being selfish. Um, and Jesus said this, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye while missing the one that is in your own eye? So you can see what's you can see the selfishness in other people, but you can't see it in yourself. Um, or he said this, he said, Love those who hate you. What? Love those who hate you. Like will the good of those who hate you? Because that's what the definition of love is. It, lo- the definition of love is to will the good of those, to will the good of another. Um, and so you want to will the good of those who hate you? Don't, don't you actually want to like justify yourself and make sure they feel small? Are you supposed to will their good? How, how do you do that? What's another example of, of people being selfish just with their entire life? Cause we're all relatively selfish. Um, Jesus first, first talk in the sermon on the Mount is about anger. Um, because every human being struggles with anger at some point. That's very prevalent today. And you might be like, no, I'm not angry, but I bet if someone cuts you off in your car, the first thing that you do is respond in anger. I would be willing. You don't just like, calmly chill i bet the first thing is you you swear you say what the and then you call him an idiot um dylan sent me this this uh um meme once it said have you ever noticed how the people in front of you are uh driving in front of you are um idiots because they drive too slow and the people who pass you are idiots because they drive too fast (laughs) i was like oh that's funny i don't i don't remember the exact how it was exactly worded but um so can I don't think anybody can actually say, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not self-centered." I don't think about myself all the time. I'm not trying to express myself at the cost of everybody else around me and and get them to bow to what I have just said. I've never said the words "I am who I am." Get used to it, which, by the way, is a form of idolatry because God's name literally means "I am who I am." So if you make the claim, "I am who I am," You're taking, that's the first way to take God's name in vain, and it's to make yourself God. So how this works out, if let's say you're like me, you used to be a jerk, and you're like, I'm a jerk, you are a jerk to somebody, and somebody asks you to apologize, and you first is, no, that's how I am, get used to it. All you just said is, that's how I am, bow to me. That's a very selfish thing to do. You can't even submit your personality to your mind, will, or emotions. You can't submit your will to another person. That's selfish. You just responded. All right, so you and I, that, and that, I just gave you an example from my life because I, I said that to somebody my freshman year of college. You're just getting all the great stories about me. We are on our way to becoming, to making, realizing just how toxic we are. Why did I sing like that? I have no idea. All right, moving on. Let's see what the rest of this definition says. A toxic person is someone who is subtly or outwardly manipulative, self-centered, oh, needy. Oh, man needy 
Oh man. Um, what did Jesus say about needy people? Uh, right here in Luke six, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Everyone who begs from you, oh, excuse me, here it is. Give to everyone who begs from you. Give to everyone who begs from you. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Huh. Huh. So if someone's really needy, because like when we think beggar, we think just like the person who is uh, out on the street asking for money. That's not, there's other types of needy people that they, they feel like they're, they keep making a withdrawal on you. Now that, now that one we have to talk about uh, because if somebody keeps trying to withdraw from what you have over and over and it's just draining over and over again and eventually they're wearing you out. Now that's the time to have, you need to have a conversation with them and be like, most people just cut them off. They skip right to Matthew, the third step in the Matthew 18 process when someone sins against you. They skip steps one and two and go right to three and set a boundary when in reality they should have talked to them first and then brought a witness to the second time. You say, hey, we, we are not having this conversation anymore. You, It's draining me and I can't have this anymore. I think there's some other healing that needs to happen in your soul. Most people skip that step and they go straight for, you know, nope, you've mentioned this three times now. You, I can't, you're needy, you're cut off. And like, let's not pretend that that's not how we act. Let's pretend. If you're going to, giving to someone who begs from you is giving them what they need and what they need might be a conversation from you about how they're coming across because they may not know. Man, Jesus is the smartest man who'd ever lived. All right, let's move on through this definition. The last thing, so we've covered uh, subtly manipulative, and we failed. Self-centered, we failed. Needy, we failed. Uh, and controlling. Oh, man. You and I, we've never tried to be controlling. Now, if we think about how do we control people, well, we use our words to tell them what they must do. Um, or maybe we disguise it as good advice. Maybe we disguise telling people what to do as good advice. Oh, if I were you, I would do it this way. Hoping, really hoping that they do it the way we tell them that they should do it. Um, if not, we might, maybe we use our words to condemn some, somebody like we say, man, you're just so stupid. Why would you have done? Why did you do that? You did that because your heart is, uh, how would, how would, let me think of a good example. You did that because you're entirely selfish. You, you just don't care about me. You only thought of yourself because you're self-centered. Um, all the husbands are like, man, I've heard that one before. Uh, you probably said it before too. You did that because you're lazy. You were late to dinner because you're lazy and you didn't take care of what you're supposed to take care of. Mm. Is that a way that we control people? We use our words to condemn. I wonder if Jesus said anything about that in Matthew chapter seven, about how we control people. Oh, look, there it is. There it is. There it is. Ha ha ha. Hmm. What does this say? Judge not that you will not be judged, which a better, a good translation is condemn not that you will not be condemned. For with the condemnation that you pronounce, you will also be condemned. That's a statement about reality. You, you get what you receive. You get what you give. Oh, there, there's that line again. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? <laughs> How can you? And then he says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they turn and trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What does that mean? Okay, so condemnation is the board in your eye. Condemnation is how we control people. You only did that because of this, and you're trying to change how people respond. So, for example, uh, using the lazy one, you were late to dinner because you are lazy. That is a condemning statement. It's an assumption about the, um, the what's in their heart, and what you're trying to do is pointing out you're condemning them so that they will stop being lazy so that they'll be on time for dinner. That's what you're doing right there in that situation. That's what you're doing. You're condemning them to try to control how they respond to certain situations. You don't even know if that's why they were late. You just condemned. Or you offer your pearls before pigs. What does that mean? That means you gave advice that no one asked for. 
you're as a way to control people. Ooh, if I were you, I would do it this way. And you're like, how does that what pearls bef- throw your pearls before pigs mean? Well, pigs don't need pearls. Actually, to them, it just feels like you're throwing little beads at them. And th- nobody likes to have little beads thrown at them. And when you throw little beads at pigs, they're going to turn and run at you because they're tired of it. Offering wisdom, your, I, I'm doing quotation fingers right here. Offering your wisdom to people that they did not ask for as a way to control them. He's throwing your pearls before pigs. And I bet the first per- the first place that you experienced this was as an adult with your parents. Or as a teenager with your parents. But when you're a teenager, that's their job. I bet, though, when you're an adult, and my parents are really good at this, but uh, so I wish I could pick on them, but I can't. Um, so they won't offer advice that no one asked for, and I'm like, just sometimes I just need you to do it. Tell me what to do. <laughs> but... Um, if you have kids and you you know the pain and the, the sorrow and the suckiness of when your in-laws tell you what you should be doing to be parenting and you're like, just leave me alone. Don't say that. Or if you're an adult and you're trying to figure out the decisions of your life, your parents keep telling you what you must and must not do um, to make the most of your life. And you're like, God, just stop, stop. And it's frustrating to you. That's pearls before pigs. And before you go justifying yourself and being like, yeah, that's what my parents did. Oh, bro, bro, bro. You've done it too. And you will do it. You will offer your bits of wisdom to people who didn't ask as a way to control them. When you have kids, you'll probably do it too. So, uh, going back to that definition about toxic people, because how did we even get here? So we talked about how psychology promised to the promise of psychology, popular psychology at least, is to uh, deliver you from your current life by improving your individual well-being, which means one of the tenets of the gospel of popular psychology is you must cut off toxic people from your life. You need to get them out of your life. Ah, what is a toxic person? Well, a toxic person, as we've just seen, is somebody who is subtly manipulative, self-centered, needy, and going back to it, controlling. And we just realized based on the teachings of Jesus that that is every single one of us. Ah, frick, we're all toxic people. Dang it. I hope no one cuts me off so that their well-being will improve. When I was in college, um, my freshman year, I, I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess my freshman year. Um first time I had true freedom and I was kind of a jerk and um, I was just a jerk. I wasn't going out like partying all the time and I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't sleeping around. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. I was just kind of a jerk and very, very, very self-centered, very self-centered. And um, there was this girl that was friends with me and my roommate and a lot, some of the other friends that I had at the, at the time. This was my freshman year and um, I, I remember, you know, I was a jerk to everybody and I, there, no, nobody had a conversation with me to be like, dude, you need to stop being a jerk. And I wish somebody would have, um, it actually took me being isolated and alone to realize, wow, you are really just burning every bridge here. But I remember this girl, she came up to me and she, I went, or like we were, we we're coming out of chapel and I was go to talk to her. She didn't come up to me. I went up to her to talk to her. She's friends. We're friends. And uh, I say, Hey, what's up? And she looked at me and she goes, I've been meaning to talk to you. Christian girls like me don't hang out with guys like you cause you're toxic. And she just walked away. I was like, I was like what? Girls like you don't hang out with guys. Like, I was like, Whoa. I didn't, I wasn't, well, yeah, I wasn't trying to date you or anything. I thought we, I just thought we were friends, and I, I was, I was so unaware of how I was coming across to people, and no one, well, my parents tried to tell me, but I didn't listen to them, and my brothers tried to tell me, and I didn't listen to them. So I guess some people tried to tell me, but I was like, "That's your." That was the first response, and later we reconciled. A couple, it took a couple years, but we reconciled, and um, but I've I've also never forgotten that, and maybe you've had that happen to you, where someone came up to you and they're like, "Oh, we I think you're toxic," and so I just I'm cutting you out of my life, and it didn't have the response that you thought it was going. It, it didn't do what it's supposed to do. We think by setting a boundary with people, it's going to lead them 
to change. Not if it's their first. Not if it's your first move. No, not if it's your first move. If it's your first move, no, it will not cause people to change. Actually, it will cause them to question everything they know about themselves and what they think about the world and who they are. And it will just amplify their behavior as it is because now they need to justify themselves. It doesn't lead them to repentance. It doesn't lead them to change. It does definitely doesn't lead them to Jesus. Not as a first step. Boundaries are a third step. When you've had a conversation with somebody and you've given them an opportunity to listen Boundaries are not first steps. The gospel of psychology wants you to cut people off as a first step. According to this article, Psych Central, step one. Set step one to cope with toxic people. Set boundaries, even if it creates guilt. No. And that's not that's out of order. According to Jesus, that's out of order. This one, according to this, step three, it says, talk with them about it. But it also says, resist trying to fix things. And Jesus says to reconcile. It's in Matthew 18. As best, try. As best, you can't reconcile everything, but it says to at least try. Jesus perfectly understands the human condition because he's the smartest man who'd ever lived. And he's not after just individual well-being. He's after the well-being of all of those who are his. And you and I cannot cut people off without doing them the service of talking to them first and expect them to actually have well-being. You can't listen to enough podcasts to improve your well-being if you've been cut off from everybody. Jesus understands better than psychologists what human beings need. And this what the what the thing I want I was trying to get to on this one. You and I failed the test of toxicity. You and I, we failed the test. I went through the definition. You and I failed. We, we failed. We're toxic people. We might have some better interpersonal skills. We may have a better control of our behavior. But based on the definition compared to the teachings of Jesus, you and I failed. And Jesus said, what he said about that is he said, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? But you don't see the old log in your own eye. Why is it that we see the toxicity in other people, but we can't even see the toxicity in ourselves? We are so unaware of how we come across, but we see it in other people. And Jesus said, the first thing that you are supposed to do, this is a psychology matter. He says, the first thing that you do instead of cutting people off is to take the log out of your own eye. That means to improve your yourself to make sure you're not self-centered, to make sure you're not needy, to make sure that you're not manipulative, that you're not angry, you're not letting anger permeate your body, that your personality is not out of control, that you give thought to your words. You start there before you have other people starting there and then have the audacity, have the cojones, have the courage to have a conversation with somebody if they are acting in a toxic way because that way, if you are willing to have a conversation with somebody, you are willing their good. Willing their good. And believe me, I'm, I'm talking to myself right now because there are some people in my life that I would way rather set a boundary for my own personal well-being than actually cross that boundary to have a conversation that would be helpful to them and to me. I'm, let me be honest, I'm too cowardly to do it at this point. And I know, I'm, I, I, need to try, I, need to, I need to up on that one. But Jesus knows what would heal the human condition and it's not boundaries, and it is not psychological well-being. Actually, it is willing the good of another person and being willing to start with yourself. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I tell you? Don't do what I tell you. And he says, if you're going to do, if you want to call Jesus Lord, if you want to recognize him as the best teacher that has ever lived, the smartest man who's ever lived, the greatest man that's ever lived, you need to do what he says. I need to do what he says and make sure that things are in order, that we're not just cutting off people to cut off people, but that we're taking the log out of our own eye and we're willing their good and we're helping them get rid of those traits that are toxic 
Now, Matthew 18, yes, it says, go and have a conversation. If they don't listen, bring a second person so you two, both of you have a, can, can have a conversation. If, if at that point, if they're unrepentant, if they don't even make an effort to change, then you step three, you treat them as if they were, as if they were not part of the family. You set a boundary. You set a boundary. That's at, the, at that point. You know how many people change when you just say something to them? Most. Most. I do this in pastoral ministry all the time. It's much harder when it uh, involves people that are not uh, under your authority as a church leader. I'll tell you that. But look, the gospel of psychology is about you. It is. There's a lot to learn about psychology. I am not trying to dog on psychology. What I'm trying to say is that the gospel of psychology is incomplete and incapable of getting people to be selfless and to cross boundaries and to lift up and will the good of other people. And I want to be a man who's just like Jesus, whose first step was not to set a boundary with somebody who is toxic. I failed the boundary test. You failed the boundary test, and Jesus did not set a boundary with you. He, by his Holy Spirit, by his word, somehow, by the words of another person, made you see what was what you were like. He, he, had, the, he had the courage, either through another person, through his Holy Spirit, or through his word, to show you what you were like. And how maybe you were manipulative, maybe you were angry, maybe you were needy, maybe you were one of those traits. Maybe that was you. And freely you have received, and so freely you should give. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I want to do what Jesus did because I think he's the greatest man who's ever lived, and I want to be just like him. And I think our world needs men who are just like Jesus, who are, do, yes, you have a physical fortitude and a presence about you that just makes people feel safe, and you have a physical presence that makes you unafraid of anything, but you also have spiritual power that makes you unafraid, and you. but also you will the good of another person, which means you're willing to talk to them, and you don't worry. The first response to t- people who hinder your personal well-being is not to set a boundary, but to cross over to talk to them. I hope... That becomes your first response. I hope it becomes my first response. And today, if it's not, I hope that you and I will both take a step towards making sure that happens. Because the good news of Jesus Christ, who is Messiah, who is Lord, he is God. The good news involves doing what he said, not just you going to heaven when you die. It involves bringing heaven to earth by doing what he said was best. And because he perfectly understands the human condition as the smartest man who has ever lived, you can trust that what he said is true, it's good, and will produce fruit in your life. My name is Keaton Tucker. Thank you for listening. And until next time, this is the Man I Want to Be podcast.